Hello, fellow readers. Hello, fellow feminists and not-so-feminists. Today on Book Circle Online, I will be talking to author Karen Carbo. She wrote In Praise of Difficult Women. She has won multiple awards for her writing. Let's talk women and more right after this. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. It feels like very jazzy, right? That you can like... Yes, it does. Now that you say that, I feel like we need to like we need shag carpeting too. Everyone, thanks so much for joining us in studio today. I'm with author Karen Carbo, author of many books, but including the one we'll be discussing today, In Praise of Difficult Women. We will be talking about women difficult, not so difficult, and otherwise. Karen, where can everyone find you on social media? I'm at um well, on Facebook, I'm at Karen Carbo. It's qu- quite straightforward. On Instagram and on Twitter, I'm at Carbohemia. Great. And I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Real Zoe Hewitt. Now, as we delve into the book, I want to start with actually a blog post you wrote for Huffington Post back in 2011 because I felt like that post was actually a little bit of a precursor to this book where you were right. talking to a crowd about Katherine Hepburn. So will you tell that story? Right. So I had written a book called How to Hepburn back in, I want to say, 2007 or so. And then I proceeded to write several other books, one about George O'Keefe, one about um, Julia Child and Coco Chanel. And when I would go on my book tours, inevitably there would be somebody in the audience I would be talking about these women's accomplishments or, you know, giving stories about sort of how outlandish and difficult they were. And someone inevitably would say, but Kat, I heard Catherine Hepburn wasn't very nice. Um, and it was always kind of in this low tone. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it always surprised me because we weren't actually talking about the degree to which you know, the, 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 she was nice, you know, and I would say, well, you're not going on vacation with her. So, um, I don't think, um, it, you know, it it really is germane to what we're talking about here. And then I, yeah. And then I wrote a blog post for Huffington Post because it kept coming up with Mm -hmm. all of the women. Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard she wasn't very nice. Oh, I heard she was kind of Mm -hmm. a bitch, you know? Um, and I don't know why we had to have that conversation all the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about that story too, at the end is that the woman said, as accomplished as these women were, she would feel better knowing that at least she's nice. She might not be as accomplished, but she's nice. Right. Which is funny. Like, why is it, do you think, that women feel like this desire to be nice? Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 complicated. Um, you know, I think women, not to, you know, to... to to speak generally. Right. Um, and I think we should just say everything is general. Everything is yes. general here. Yes. Um, the, generally speaking, you know, women tend to be consensus builders. Mm-hmm. And to be a consensus builder, you have to be nice and you have to reach out to people. And, mm-hmm. you know, that also comes with it wanting to make everyone around you happy. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? Well, we're, we, we basically sort of, you know, twist ourselves in a way that will please this person and this person and this person. And I think like anything, if it starts when you're a young girl, it just becomes habitual. Mm -hmm. And unless you're sort of paying attention, meaning, you know, being nice and loving and compassionate and kind to your people, Mm -hmm. we, of course, and by the way, I want the men in my lives to be that way to me. But I think just sort of randomly feeling that way to all humans Mm -hmm. is where we kind of start getting into trouble a little bit. Mm -hmm. So not to take anything away from yeah. being nice, right? Um, but I think, you know, it, it can, especially women, it can thwart us mm-hmm. until we really sort of don't know what, who we are, what we want, what we feel is worth fighting for, what mm-hmm. we feel is worth, um, you know, upsetting people for. Right. And that is hard. And I feel like that's also hard at any age to know when is it okay to speak up, when 
is it okay to make someone maybe not feel the best about me, but it's right. still worth it? Right. And I mean, I think it's occasion yeah. based. Yeah. Um, I, I do think what happens, um, and I feel like when I was raised that, that my, I, I was a very much a force to be dealt with as a young child. In fact, um, this is crazy. I grew up not far from here in Sherman Oaks and we lived in this apartment full of boys that I tussled with. Mm-hmm. And there was graffiti on the back wall, on the concrete wall that, that lined the driveway. And it said, you can slug Karen Carbo and she don't even cry. And this was like this great badge of honor. So Mm -hmm. I was like this tough little girl. Uh But as I grew into puberty, my parents were very much trying to kind of contain me Mm -hmm. and tell me like to sit still and, you know, don't roll your eyes and and be nice. Mm -hmm. And even to boys that like I didn't like or I didn't respect, I was supposed to be nice. So Mm -hmm. it was basically kind of taking this person that was sort of fully inhabited Mm -hmm. and kind of chipping away at her so that she could be more presentable. Right. So I think that when we talk about being a difficult woman, it's not even so much adding on something to your personality. It's mm-hmm. more sort of removing the, the breaks mm-hmm. um, and kind of inhabiting that, that child, perhaps, that you knew you were. And I think that's actually the perfect jumping off point to where I wanted to start, which was actually with Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. But first, let me explain for people who haven't read the book yet what it is. So it's a series of essays, and each chapter is about a different woman somewhere in history, right up through present day, talking about how she's difficult. And difficult, of course, doesn't have to mean like, oh, you just can't get along. But difficult as in she doesn't maybe follow the exact same stereotypes that we want women to have all the time, like being super nice to everyone around her, but she's going to stand up for herself. So that's the type of difficult. So I I put page numbers, too, because I thought I've got to be able to find where I'm talking about. So Hillary Clinton, of course, is one of the women that you profile in the book, which it would seem like we couldn't not talk about Hillary Clinton. And and in fact, her her crime is, I mean, her her variety of difficulty is a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, because she is ambitious Mm -hmm. and doesn't hide her ambition. And that, for a woman, is extremely difficult. Yes. And what I found really particularly interesting is that you talk about um, scholars at the University, University of South Florida and University of Illinois talking about how someone might lose his manhood. College students said things like losing a job, but when ha- someone might lose her womanhood, they couldn't come up with anything except more physical things like a sex change operation or having a hysterectomy. Right. And I thought that was fascinating that there is a very clear way to lose your masculinity, right. but not your femininity. Right. And that was part of a study, a study that sociologists mm-hmm. had done. And basically, they were trying to figure out, you know, as I I mean, obviously, women are in the workplace, and we welcome women to be teachers Mm -hmm. and nurses and therapists and in the helping Mm -hmm. professions. But when women start moving into sort of the upper echelons in where there's money and power, Mm -hmm. um, and there also aren't too many jobs as like a CEO or like Mm -hmm. a head broker at Goldman Sachs or something, um, that's where it becomes tougher for women. Because the theory is that men have to prove themselves as men, whereas women are just born women. Mm-hmm. Like, we can give birth, so we can just sit making mm-hmm. a baby and sipping our tea, mm-hmm. and we're doing our woman thing. Yeah. So as women move into these high-powered mm-hmm. positions, you know, not only are they already women, and like, you know, Hillary is a mother and a grandmother, yeah. but, you know, they're also taking away an opportunity for men to mm-hmm. really prove their manhood by having the positions that are powerful and, and, you know, and making them rich and competent. And so I think on some, you know, what the point is of the study is that at some place in our lizard brain, Mm -hmm. the fact that, that that is, you know, if women have everything, then what do men have? I think it's just very disconcerting. 
And it's interesting that you also bring up the part about taking an opportunity away because that is something that's a theme that comes up throughout the book for various women who are told like in law school well you took a spot away from a man to be here right and so it is interesting but yet men aren't taking anything away from women we don't see that same no we don't say no no it's like no your man your your husband's doing the laundry and taking away that opportunity for you to pick up dirty socks Mm -hmm. like no that is not that's not part of, of of the conversation and at the same time, I do feel like, however slowly, things are changing. And it is more common Absolutely. to see men, for instance, staying at home. My cousin actually has a very high-powered job, so she works, and her husband quit his job to stay home Absolutely. with her I think there's so much more flexibility um, in, the, in this, you know, like the new generation, and also just millennial men and younger men. You mm-hmm. know, they kind of, they've kind of gotten it in mm-hmm. a way that, that, that older generations just, you know... Um, in fact, there's a there's an anecdote in there. Elizabeth Warren's first husband um, would, if his dinner wasn't on the table at six o'clock, he would point at his watch. Here's my watch. <laughs> Where's my dinner? Like I don't think millennial men do that. You know, they know. <laughs> well, first of all, they would know that they would never suffer that. Like, but, but so I do think it's changing. Yeah. And you know, it may be like two steps forward, one step back, but or is it one step forward? <laughs> I'm a liberal arts major. You know, it's forward and right. back. It is. It <laughs> it's is forward and back. <laughs> and that's a point that you make in the book too, that we do seem to keep seeing the same fight again right. and again. But exactly, like it keeps happening. And it is interesting to me because like you say, I don't think a millennial man would sit and say, Where is my dinner? But I also think by the same token, there's that sense of respect. It would also be hard for me to see even in this gender swap, a millennial woman sitting home and saying, well, at 6 p.m., where's my right. dinner? She would get up and she order would. out. <laughs> she would. She Or she would, yeah, exactly. You know, like, like, I don't like cooking myself, but I'm really good at ordering out. <laughs> I know. Seam- or is it seamless? What is, what's what's in L.A.? Oh, what's- like Grubhub. We have yeah, Grubhub. Grubhub. Yeah. Come here on your bicycle with my pizza. <laughs> yeah. Bring me food. <laughs> so I just thought that was really interesting that we don't think of it that way, that a man needs something right to be masculine right and i mean i think too what what's sort of disconcerting um i've heard a lot of people say you know boys are in trouble men are in trouble you know is that they you know many men just have thought you know i'm born a man like bring the goodies and uh and you know that that that, that they're going to have to try the same degree as everybody else right. meaning women and people of color i think that that's disconcerting and by the way as how not mm-hmm. like if you if you just were born and 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 had an advantage why would you want to give it up right. i mean right. i mean you know no i i mean i want the i want all the advantages too right um so i mean but they're but you know it's a it's a new world and mm-hmm. and they're they're going to have to adjust a little right and i feel like everyone needs to adjust in some ways because i think even then people who are used to feeling like well i'm the victim because I'm a woman. All, all I can do is stay home. Exactly. Like, no, you you can actually do other things yeah. if you want to. You're exactly. not being forced. Exactly. You're, you're making some sort of choice. Exactly. So exactly. <laughs> well, well, well observed. Yes. <laughs> so, and we started talking about this a little bit too. So, in your Jane Goodall chapter, mm-hmm. you talked about um, jobs and how a man might see a job application and say, "Oh, well, I can't, you know, juggle fire, but I'll learn how, or right, I'll delegate right. that part of it." Right. Right. Whereas a woman might say, "Oh." 
I have to go to fire juggling school yes. and have a degree. Yes, I therefore. can't even take like the learning X class. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be I have to an be, expert. That's right. I yes, have to, I have to be very confident uh-huh. in my fire juggling ability. Exactly. Which is also a separate good point that exactly you can't just then like go to community college for your fire juggling degree. It right. has to be the best degree before right. you're suddenly able to right. apply for that job. Right. And do you think that's because just over the years, that's what women have been taught? Like, how does that happen that an entire gender, for as a whole, like we're generalizing, of course, exactly, suddenly thinks they can't fire juggle? Well, I just think it's more that that men, and and I think you know, and and by the way, I love men. Like I, I you know, I mean, I'm a feminist, but I, I adore men. And one of the things I adore, I do adore about them. Mm-hmm is that many of them are really feel confident kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. You know, in this situation with getting a, a job, they f- feel like, I'm a great, I'm a great employee. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll be a good addition to the team. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, women, because of uh, difficulties that we've had at work mm-hmm. and, you know, being held to a different standard, a very, a, you know, we have to walk a very slim line. I think we just want to feel when we walk into a job that we are 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 competent enough to have that kind of confidence. I think men need to less competency to feel competent. <laughs> but we were talking before and you said you this was not true for how you were raised and also yes. uh, it, me too. Like mm-hmm. I have done a, uh, taken another number of jobs where I was like, "Well, I'm just going to go online and figure out how to right. you know." So I I do think it's also how we raise our boys and our girls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's not quite so gender specific, but in the workplace, of course, it's very difficult for for women, you know, to, to, to pivot in in a number of ways, unless Mm -hmm. they, they, you know, are, are at least twice as good as, as the man, a man who holds the same job. And part of me also wonders how much of it is socioeconomic because, so as I mentioned before we got started, I went to an all-women's university, and I notice in our Facebook career group, sometimes some of the newer graduates will talk about how they don't feel as comfortable, like, basically using their resources, which I was always taught, like, use your resources. If you know people, call them. Like, they're the ones Mm -hmm. who will hire you or who will know someone else and ask that person to introduce you to someone else. And some women don't feel comfortable, and there's been great discussion in the group and what it's what seems to be sort of a general consensus is that it's socioeconomic that sometimes people feel like if they've been raised maybe without quite as much that they either aren't deserving of it or they've been mm-hmm. taught well you have to do it on your own don't you dare ask anyone right. else so do you think that it has to do with that as well like where does that come from um you know i think it's a it's part sort of who, you know, we have our inborn personalities, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, there's always a, a socioeconomic component. Mm-hmm. And I think also as you get higher up the socioeconomic scale that the issues of gender kind of fall away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and obviously, uh, and I, maybe this is a bit a bit off track, but, you know, you see that a lot in sort of countries in the developing world. There'll be women in parliament and there'll be someone like Indira Gandhi who read, run, ran a whole country, mm-hmm. but they came from the upper echelons where the girls were educated they right. were sent abroad right and and so yes i definitely think that there at the end of the day there does become mm-hmm. the socioeconomic component to it as well right not it, to be overlooked yeah. 
Right. But another book, perhaps. <laughs> but another book. That's the sequel. <laughs> More difficult women. <laughs> More difficult women with three zeros after the name. Four zeros. And, you know, it's funny. So going back to my cousin, who I don't want to call out for her name or her job, she works at a very well-known company that is known for being very liberal. But interestingly enough, she mentioned that their maternity leave program is such that, in theory, because you can't lose a job when you're out for maternity leave, right. they give you three months. And because, so if your project has finished while you were gone... They're not officially getting rid of you because of maternity leave. But if you can't find another job internally, then you're out. So despite being what seems like a very liberal company that's known for being good to its employees, it still is very much like, well, you know, you took your time off. That's right. And do your best. Like, good luck to you. Right. And I think that that that, 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 that sort of nefarious, like Mm low-grade nefarious going on is probably true. Now, granted. I've been a writer sitting alone working since 1990. So what, you know, from what I understand, Um, and I have friends like that too, that that, that there's kind of this hair splitting that goes on that kind of prevents full mm -hmm. support um, for a lot of women. And that's why it is so tricky in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And again, the higher up you get, I think the trickier it gets. Yes. And, I mean, we have the Sheryl Sandberg lean-in book. So then also at some point, the higher up you get, then you also have the financial means. Exactly. Which she admitted to and said, like, hey, I've exactly. got the means to hire someone. And that, so, and that is huge. So that, that makes a huge. difference. And actually then that leads in perfectly to your Shonda Rhimes chapter because something that stood out to me, which I feel like is more a discussion with Shonda herself, is that <laughs> she says specifically that she was rethinking motherhood because she thought it was offensive to call being a mother a job. It's who someone is. Right. Now, I actually thought from a feminist standpoint that I thought the opposite. I was kind of like, huh, Shonda, what's going Shonda, on there? it's really a job. <laughs> yeah, like... I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's it's who you are and it's really a hard job. Right. Um, and again, you know, as as you pointed out, Shonda has the means for mm-hmm. to have some help. Yes. And really, just especially she has three daughters when you can just have another pair of arms mm-hmm. to, you know, help to take take one of the kids and uh, it just makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm kind of on board with you. I think, but I, but I, I think uh-huh. it's you know to, to say it's not a job. Uh-huh. I mean, and to say, I mean, it's you know, yes, it gives us great joy, mm-hmm. but it's super hard and exhausting. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what like stay-at-home moms have been fighting against for exactly. so long. Like I am working <laughs> so hard, and you know, by yeah. the way, like it doesn't end. I right. mean, that was the thing. You know, when when I had a, a kid, and I was like just shocked that you know at ten o'clock at night it's still going on. It's like, oh my god, they never uh-huh. told me about this. But yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it is everything like, along the lines of what we've been talking about from the very start, I feel like, is that it's all trickle down, too. And so she makes also a point of saying that if she gets an email past 7 p.m., she says, hey, if I'm your boss, like, knock it off. Like, right. take a break. Right. And I don't know if you saw it. just came. I just saw it today. Someone posted that a writer from Vampire Diaries, who had also written for Grey's Anatomy and several other major shows, came out talking about sexual harassment she had suffered at the hands of a director on the show. Mm-hmm. And how upsetting it was. He was very insulting, name-calling, touching her. And she says at the end of the day when she came out, her producer asked what was wrong. And when she said very vaguely sort of what had happened, the producer was upset on her behalf, though. And that director never worked on the show again. And so it's interesting, the women who are at the top... And and it can come from the men, too, I think. But how everyone else is treated. Like, would that have been the same if she'd been talking to a male producer? 
And I don't think so. Uh, you know, and, and I, I don't know. I mean, and also, you know, we always have to bear in mind that everyone has different personalities right. and different right. and, and a different and a different tolerance of risk. Because yes. let's not forget. And even though you know, in this book, I talk. You know, I'm I'm very sort of rah rah about speaking out and supporting mm-hmm. your sisters and 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 you know, don't be afraid not to please people and this, that, and the other. Um, but the, but in point of fact, you do risk losing your job. Right. You do risk, you know, being blackballed. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we all have to find where we're comfortable. Mm-hmm. But do know that if, you're, if, if you choose not to say anything or if you choose mm-hmm. to, um, you know, fire that person or blackball that person, mm-hmm. like that, that you are making a deal with yourself right. to do that. And just be, I, I think we just have to be honest, right. you know, about that. Um, but, but I do, yeah, no, if it was probably a man, it would probably be different. Right. And, and you're right. And that's something else I think to be cognizant of that we are all making those cost benefit analysis questions. And that was something that came out with the recent Me Too movement that then people started posting the opposite of like, well, if you're not speaking up, it's still okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, no, that's true. And, um, uh, yes, agreed. Agreed. I was just going to reiterate what you said. <laughs> feel free. Agreed, feel free. agreed, agreed. <laughs> and you know what? We, we talked about this with Coco Chanel that, you know, what, you need to be nice on top of everything else, too. Right. And so there are certain women, though, that I feel like it maybe comes up with more often mm-hmm. than others. I don't know. You tell me. Like, with some of the women in the book, I don't feel like they're being asked or you're being asked about them. Right. But is she nice right. as often? Like, what is it that I feel like we don't ask if Shonda Rhimes is nice right. as much as we wonder if Coco Chanel That's was. interesting. We don't wonder if like Lena Dunham is as much as Hillary Clinton. Right, right. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And you know, I think part of it has to do with um, you know the the field in which they work. Mm-hmm. I think the mm-hmm. more sort of um, wealthy you become, or the more successful you become, the more it becomes you know kind of an issue. Like like mm-hmm. Frida Kahlo, nobody mm-hmm. asks. She was lovely apparently, uh-huh. and you know why she's in the book is because she. Um, insisted on painting a way that forced the world to look at female suffering, Mm -hmm. which was quite revolutionary at the time. Mm -hmm. And she just kept doing it, you know? So, so her brand of difficulty was a bit different, but I think women that succeed, um, you know, when Coco Chanel succeeded as a designer, it was a male field. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a few other women designers Mm -hmm. who were very, very retiring. Mm -hmm. Um, Coco became, you know, the best model for her work Mm -hmm. and she was very outspoken and very upfront about wanting to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, once that happens, you know, you risk being called difficult, you risk, you know, and then we look at how nice are you? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're competitive. Right. You know, I think, you know, being competitive as a woman, Mm -hmm. um, you know, outside sort of girl softball, you know, again, (laughs) you get called out for it. And that's interesting, right? So it has to do with that ambition level, uh, key right, again. That ambition component. That you don't think of, that certain women, for whatever reason, like back to Shonda Rhimes, because the book is still yeah. flipped to her chapter, oh, yeah. as successful as she is, she you don't think of her and go, oh, she's overly ambitious. Not right. the same way you think of, like, in that time frame, right. like you say, Coco Chanel, who was one of very few women doing Correct. it. Correct. But mind you, Shonda, until very recently, has been sort of in the background. Like, we are mm-hmm. sitting, you know, we're in Hollywood right now Mm -hmm. but for most of the world they would see Grey's Anatomy and the directors Uh and you know she was the writer and the writer is behind the scenes Mm -hmm. Um, you know she's a genius storyteller but you are not overtly you know I mean even after she sort of owned Thursday night Mm -hmm. unless you were really paying attention you know, to her and her career right. and were like a super fan, you wouldn't know yeah. that. So I think she was really allowed to flourish. 
um, because it wasn't so like she's up there, she's in the mm-hmm. front of the you know front of the room saying I want to be president. Right. It was still sort of behind the scenes. Right. Which, so which it's is a little right. stealth. You're right. It's frankly. a good point. I, I think you're right that other people probably had no idea who she was. Right. <laughs> before suddenly we start hearing Shonda Rhimes. Right. Rhyme, and Shonda by Rhymes the way, more. until she you know she wrote her memoir about saying yes. Mm-hmm. And really what it was about was she was she she's shy or has been shy mm-hmm. and she's very introverted and now she's speaking up more now yeah. because she's saying sort of yes to public speaking opportunities. Mm-hmm. She started her newsletter. Yeah. But when you know, when I wrote this chapter, and I think we always have to remember with books, like they right. take a long time yeah. to, to, you know, come to fruition, um, you know, that she was she was pretty retiring mm-hmm. in terms of, of sort of her personal, you know, her, her life. Yeah. And she was just working yeah. and like churning out these brilliant TV shows. So she has now sort of come out of her shell mm-hmm. a little bit um, and may get, I mean, I haven't really been tracking it, but may get now more pushback mm-hmm. because she is being more, uh-huh. more verbal and, and uh-huh. you know, drawing attention to herself that way. Yeah, that that will be interesting to, yeah. to see. And she just signed, I think, a huge deal. I think it with Netflix. Yeah, I think it was. So she's like leaving yeah. the ABC fold. Because oh my god! And now she can just offering... she can just own Netflix. Yes. She can just be like, <laughs> she's amazing. All the worlds yeah. she creates and the characters she inhabits. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, and and how she knows what people will watch so well, right? And so successfully. And I think though your point about that even the book was written before we saw so much of her. Right. I think is important though to keep in mind with all of the women, and like you said with Coco Chanel, that it has to do with also what time period they were in, because some of these women would not be considered as revolutionary if we looked at them now in 2018, as they were in, like, 1910. Right, exactly. It is. It's a very different time. Although it's kind of crazy because if I don't know if you've ever read Sex and the Single Girl, which oh, okay, you should just oh, like, and it is on my list to just, talk about. That you should just like take it. a peek. Just you don't have to read the whole yeah. book, but you know, Helen Gurley Brown wrote yes. Sex and the Single Girl in 1962, and it is so crazy. It is almost avant garde. I mean, quite literally, her uh-huh. message was, girls. You know, she was she mm-hmm. was a secretary. You know, and there would be a couple girls in the steno pool, uh-huh. and then all men. And her message basically was, girls, you go to work, it's a little boring, but guess what's there? Men. Lots of them. And guess what? They're bored with their jobs, possibly with their wives, and you're with them all day long. So just, you know, flirt away, have a little fling. It's really Mm -hmm. great if you can go, like, on a business trip out of town to, like, a con... Like, it's shocking. (laughs) I mean, even to read it now, it's like, wow, God, you are... Yeah, it really is. And I have not read the book, but from what you put about it, I was fascinated (laughs) because my favorite part was about the sexy kitchen, as I've already mentioned, that I would prefer to order out. (laughs) You should be equipped with a spice rack and at least 30 spices because this conveys you love to cook and nothing is sexier. Nothing sexier, but also you're not supposed to use it too much, right? right? It's like for every five times, you know, your man takes you out to dinner, maybe you can like make a burger, but you're not, you're supposed to convey that yes. And of course, you know, when feminism and Gloria Steinem came along, like all this sounded like nonsense. I mean, it it is nonsense, but in the time that it was written, it's hard to believe that women were expected yeah. to go from their father's house to their husband's right. house. So the idea that you were going to be a woman, a girl, or mm-hmm. I mean, a young woman yeah. in her early 20s, and you had your own apartment, and you made mm-hmm. your own money, and you had flings, like that, you know, and you mm-hmm. were worth something. Right. You weren't just like this poor, sad spinster waiting for a man right. to come along. And by the way, she wanted to get married. She married mm-hmm. well. Right. But she said, like, marriage is for older people. <laughs> like, I want to have fun when um, I'm young. And she kind of really brought that in mm-hmm. to the culture 
you know, normally, you know, you would be 19 and you would be married. And all the fun had ended. Like, right. you know, that senior prom, that was it. <laughs> now you're a married woman uh-huh. and, you know, you're going to get pregnant and, you, you know, right. you have to, you know, you have to get the dinner on the table. <laughs> right. 6 p.m. woman. 6 p.m. <laughs> and, you know, I should have looked at the different dates. And so maybe you know the years better off the top of your head. But then talking about Helen Moore also makes me think of, like, Mary Tyler Moore and why that show was so revolutionary at the time. Because right. she was a single woman. That's right. Who was on her own and successful. Right. And, and that, was this the same? I it don't was rem- in the when 70s. Did Mary Tyler, so even after. So, it, yeah. you know, like I said, Sex yeah. and Single Girl, it sold, like, a billion <laughs> copies. And there was Helen on every TV show. <laughs> and people were outraged i mean and mm-hmm. and you know rightly so like uh-huh. you know she's basically saying you know have affairs with the guys at work uh-huh. and i don't know if you yes. also read about the the game that they play yes and i have that mark so page 133 <laughs> <laughs> yes i absolutely <laughs> it's like this is quite a game <laughs> Okay, I put 133 and 139. Here it is. Okay, so that every so often the guys would launch into an impromptu game called Scuttle, whereby they would chase one of the girls around the office, pin her down, and pull off her panties. And Helen considered this good, clean workplace fun on par with going out for a smoke or a stroll around the block. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and I was and imagining she, that. And then I also, and I wrote about this, it's like they weren't, in those days, they didn't wear just like little skirts and then their heels. Like they yes. had like panty, like not even pantyhose, they had like garter belts uh-huh. and long line girdles and like just whipping yeah. off that, like that must have been a struggle. <laughs> like, I, I, and you know, and the thing was, it was crazy. And you know what, I love Helen because her, she's very poignant. Like mm-hmm. in addition to kind of, you know, in the early 60s, kind of like being this freeze speaker Mm -hmm. but she held on to it sort of way too long Uh and after the warm had turned sort of in the second wave of feminism had kind of risen up and Mm -hmm. she was still saying she was like work is boring and this was really fun and Uh they're like like helen 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 (laughs) and she would not come off her position and Uh of course it's horrible and it's like assault Uh i mean you go to jail for that now and rightly so but the girls loved it right it was like this free time (laughs) we played games yeah games at work (laughs) but it also made me think i was thinking about this also on the way here that and i think that this is also part of this me too movement a little bit that I think so much also depends on your age and where you are in life yes. because if you're a teenager college student with your high school after school job and your boss is a couple of years older than you, then what, yes, you could go back and say, well, that was sexual harassment, but if you're complicit that you're also having fun because let's face it, you're yeah. all like horny 16-year-old teenagers, yes. then is it exactly the same thing? It's not, no. I mean, and that's, that's I think, why, you know, this is, um, I'm all for the Me Too movement, and I, you know, I definitely think women have not been hurt on this issue, mm-hmm. but, you know, it is, like, human behavior is super complicated, mm-hmm. and I think to get too reductive, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's actually very dangerous even to be reductive, even to say, like, let's look at what you just suggested, yeah. you know, that, you know, and I did too. I, I was a 16 year old working mm-hmm. at Knott's Berry Farm, mm-hmm. flirting with my boss and, you know, and I loved it and it did make work exciting. We had mm-hmm. no scuttle going on, but <laughs> that would be different. But, but, you know, the point is, is that it, it's, it is murky and mm-hmm. we are all trying yeah. to like hook up and see, you know, test our sexuality mm-hmm. and how flirty can we be. Right. And, you know, um, I, I think we are very clear when a line has been yes. crossed yes. But, um, 
it's murky. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it is murky. And I yeah. even to admit that in this day and age feels really like dangerous. Yes, I agree. Because I was just thinking, now we have to justify there are certain things that are completely inappropriate. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I do have a friend who's a writer who told me a really interesting story. And she was teaching a class in high school. And she had three different classes. Mm-hmm. And she writes these kind of essays about these incendiary topics. And she, that was one of the assignments is, mm-hmm. you know, write about something you shouldn't write about or you shouldn't mm-hmm. confess to. Yeah. Because that's where a lot of the juice is in essay writing. And three girls in all the different classes, and they didn't seem to be sort of all friends, and she checked and made sure it wasn't just the recycled essay. Mm -hmm. They wrote about, you know, when we complained to our friends about, like, oh, you know, he grabbed me or he, like, you know, catcalled me, Mm -hmm. we're bragging. (laughs) We are mm-hmm. bragging. We're like yeah. humble bragging. We're like saying, oh my God, I'm so hot right. and sexy. Right. And they could never admit that. That mm-hmm. they, that they, of course, guys that were skeezy and creepy, they don't want. Mm-hmm. But like the cutest boy in school, like right. checks you out or says, ooh, no, nah, you're looking fine today. Mm-hmm. Like they want that. Right. So where does that all fit? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they admitted yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, and again, nobody wants to be assaulted, I guess, we've, right. you know, but, but <laughs> right, to be clear, but it, to be clear, but in the dance, right. you know, um, it's more, right. it's murky, right? It's murky. I, I agree. I, I hope think this doesn't make you go off the air that you've admitted it's murky. <laughs> no, like no. Zoe, I... And she was never seen again. <laughs> I'll come knocking on your door. Because, right? You can, we have a great basement. You, you can bring your family. Yes. <laughs> you can just work on your novel. I have two cats and a dog. Are oh, they going to fit? Okay. <laughs> now, I also have to say that one of the really fun things in reading the book, because sometimes I think you hear like, oh, essays about difficult women, yeah. is that like there's so much in your voice that it feels like you're hearing from a fun friend who has all oh, these good. like fun asides. Well, like you're saying, like, and by the way, they had girdles on. Like, come on. How are they getting that, that out? <laughs> you know? So I feel like it's a fun read, oh, too. It like, goes quickly, and it's like, what's going to happen to the next person? Or I wish I could read more like I found myself more like where's the rest of the chapter (laughs) like I I could have kept reading about them I wanted to know even more because I felt like I had this fun voice talking to me about these women and many of whom I did not know about at all and so or if I even vaguely knew about them I went to do some more research like Frida Kahlo actually I had to go look up the painting of her giving birth to herself I didn't know what that looked like I mean (laughs) like now not so much but really if you do see it in a museum it's very (laughs) arresting even Uh to this day um, and you can imagine when it was painted, like in the 30s right. or 40s, people must have been like, oh, <laughs> like, what, what is, is this? this? <laughs> Bloody body parts, what? And along the lines of body parts, so one of the things with Lena Dunham that you mentioned that is also fascinating, so much of this I feel like fascinating, fascinating, is that the reason she was hailed initially as brave is for being naked but not having the stereotypical right. perfect Hollywood right. body. Right. And what a thing to be brave for, for just accepting who you well, are. And, you know, and I know lately Lena's taking some heat for various things, <laughs> mm-hmm. as difficult women often do. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, you know, of all these women, you know, that 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 when you're a difficult woman, this sometimes happens in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we just need to dismiss them out of hand. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we just have to, like, let them get through their thing mm-hmm. and, and, and not, you know, not, not disinvite them to the book club. <laughs> but... Um, 
but but yeah, that when girls first came on, we have to remember that mm-hmm. um, that that and and, and and you know, and Lena's pretty, but she isn't like va 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 voom. Oh my god, mm-hmm. you know, it's some knockdown like like supermodel with right. her. You know, she just had a normal body, right. doing all the things that people do in their early twenties. And what mm-hmm. and you know, and, and I would love like she would set the camera up, mm-hmm. and then there would be like fumbling on the couch and getting all the clothes off, and mm-hmm. it was exactly how it was, and mm-hmm. it was not. Oh, sexy, and you know, and mm-hmm. and the music comes up, and and all of that. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I wrote that I loved as being, um, you know, an, a, a woman of a certain age, mm-hmm. is that her parents got mm-hmm. to have the full measure mm-hmm. of the sort of cringeworthy Lena treatment. It wasn't mm-hmm. like they're just they're just like you know on the mothership over there writing her checks. <laughs> uh-huh. That they're human beings trying to uh-huh. figure out their lives as well. And I right. I very much appreciated that. And and you're right, I mean, because when the show came out, and even now, like, how often do we see these imperfect bodies on TV? Right, super imperfect, <laughs> yeah. right? And I mean, I think... And I hate to say imperfect, that's why I did, like, the little air right. quotes down here, at least, right. like, you know, that not the Hollywood, exactly. the Hollywood version. Exactly, you know, and I mean, I think the thing is, a lot of times we see is it, it'll be somebody, this always kills me, when you see some, some period piece, mm-hmm. and there's the woman with, like, the giant, like, deltoids, and it's mm-hmm. like, they didn't have those in the 1800s. <laughs> like, women with deltoids was not a thing. Like, you know, and they have, like, the neck, and everything is all, like, uh-huh. fit, and, like, they came straight from from Pilates, <laughs> their bar workout. It's like right. the body, female bodies didn't look like that then, right? Um, but yeah, so but I, I do. I think you know it was you know especially that first season, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a little sad that it was revolutionary. And I think mm-hmm. she took umbrage with it when people were like, "Oh, you're so brave," right? Um, but it did. You know, it was a wake up call. Um, mm-hmm. And also, wasn't it sort of like when when Netflix and all of these these uh, and uh, Amazon Prime were starting to produce things and really kind of open up mm-hmm. the world of sort of TV for different kinds of people with different bodies and mm-hmm. you know Transparent was coming down yeah. the road and Orange is the New Black and all of that you know mm-hmm. it was really sort of opening up the world for different humans to be right. on TV right. Um, People who look different look, than, look, than what you're used to seeing, yeah, but who look, look like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, aside from the book, because there were so, clearly so many difficult women to choose from, who is your favorite difficult woman who did yeah. not make it in the book, who you really wanted, but maybe it was just at the right. last minute you said, okay, she, right. she's just not going to fit this Well, time. you know, it's funny. Yes, volume two, we call it. <laughs> volume two. Um, I had written a couple essays. I wrote a big essay on Peggy Guggenheim mm-hmm. that my editor, and Peggy Guggenheim basically, you know, uh, was was an art collector and, and sort of a very wealthy, eccentric person and mm-hmm. took all of, uh, took took a bunch of paintings out of, um, Europe before World War II. Mm-hmm. And she also started her own museum in Venice, the mm-hmm. Guggenheim. So, um, but, and, and my editor and I went back and forth. She was really a terrible mother, mm-hmm. like really bad. And I tried like three or four times to kind of cast her in a way that sort of celebrated her difficult nature. Mm-hmm. But really, she was kind of just bad mm-hmm. and crazy. According to my editor, <laughs> I am still standing by Peggy. Um, I also sort of wish that I had kind of investigated Anita Hill more. Oh, interesting. Um, but I thought, but that was sort of, you know, the, the book, you know, like everything, it sort of, it sort of is made and it goes down the line. And then when you want to like make a la- last minute change yeah. out, it's not such a nimble process. Mm-hmm. So she was definitely somebody that I, I sort of put on, on my list. And now someone I love, and this was after the book that I turned the book mm-hmm. in, you know, as you look at someone like Emma mm-hmm. Gonzalez mm-hmm. and why I adore her so much is because when she talks 
She's so sort of emotional and wrecked, and yet she's still very articulate. And women, I think, you know, we've been allowed to be articulate, and then we're and then we're too strong, and then or we're, we cry, and then we are crying like a crying right. crybaby. So right. we can't like so the fact that she's everything, mm-hmm. she's emotionally distraught and also able to be very strong and articulate and powerful. Mm-hmm. I think is pretty amazing. So these women will be in volume two. Volume two, two presumably. I, don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I was actually thinking about like how would there be a book like this for men, mm-hmm. right? We're sort of hearing like our boys are in yeah. trouble, and so on and so forth. But you know, men would no man would read it is the problem. Like men, <laughs> even though they think they're in trouble, like I don't think I can't imagine writing in praise of honorable men or mm-hmm. I don't know what the word would even be well it is it, because that connotation is a little harder right what are you going to say in praise of difficult men well but those are just <laughs> right, men right, that's right. a <laughs> praise of men <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that you bring up Peggy Guggenheim and that she wasn't a good mom and so that's part of why it started to feel a little off yeah. and it makes me think also of some of it, it comes up with men more in Hollywood that I think of, like, well, are we still accepting of their work, even if personally we have issues right. with what they've done? Right. And to me, like, Bill Cosby comes up first because, like, who didn't want to be part right. of that family right. on TV? Right. Right. And then to hear these revelations are horrifying. Like, I can't think of the show the same way anymore. And right. Or Woody Allen has come up. You know, and I think that that, I mean, I, I think that I, I like that it's a question of, that it's sort of a gender free question, mm-hmm. you know, that men yeah. are called on the carpet as much as women are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think men, by the way, nobody says, well, but he was not a good father. Right. You know, True. I mean, yeah. but they'll say like, she was not a good mother. I mean, and Peggy Guggenheim was notoriously a bad mother. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I think that there's, I think that, that, that we sort of have, have kind of a meter that mm-hmm. if you're kind of off, <laughs> that maybe you just, you know, you have to move along. There's a point where you could have accomplished things, but you're still a bad person. Right, you're still like, like, like this is like, yeah, you, you were, you, you were really bad. <laughs> you went way too far right, off the meter. Right, exactly, right. It was a bridge too far. Yes. Now, as we wrap up, one other thing that I wanted to discuss was princesses, because I thought this also fits in very princesses. well. Princesses. So, what is your feeling on princesses? Well, <laughs> Let's you just know, start there. It's really interesting. Have you mm. read um, Karina Cochano's book, You Play the Girl? I have not. Okay, totally read it. Okay. Um, I wrote a big essay for it for the Los Angeles Book Review, and I could, yeah. it took, all fall, the book consumed me. And she talks a lot about princesses and you know and her daughter she also has a daughter so it was sort of like her relationship to princesses and her daughter's relationship to princesses Mm -hmm. for me um personally you know I grew up in a time where you know princesses were they were the boring princesses Mm -hmm. like you know they laid around and waited for a a prince to kiss them Mm -hmm. like I had princesses number like (laughs) from the Uh get-go they had to wear fancy clothes and, you know, if you were, like, a little kid that had to, like, get, get dressed up on Sunday and go to church mm-hmm. and wear, wear squeaky patent leather shoes that hurt your feet mm-hmm. and sit there with your hands in your lap, like, mm-hmm. I knew all about how boring it would be to be a princess. Mm-hmm. So I never was sort of subjected to it. Mm-hmm. But then princesses got kind of awesome and <laughs> badass. And so they got to wear the great clothes and mm-hmm. do cool things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they Disney figured out that princesses had to, like, do more. Mm-hmm. And they had to even be a little like the heroine's journey. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I like to think that the little girls not only love the clothes, but they mm-hmm. also love sort of the daring mm-hmm. that print, that modern day princesses uh-huh. are allowed to partake in. 
Um, but most of them, I, I, it is a little worrisome when all they want to do is dress up in their princess dresses. <laughs> and not do anything else. Now, I, I have to say I agree on most points because I, I feel like princess has become this four-letter word that like just by being a princess now right. you're bad but that said in Moana and in the live action exactly. Beauty and the Beast I found it really fascinating that yeah. they both made a point though of saying I'm not a princess so now it's like I, the yeah. opposite you can't just be a princess and also maybe be a strong woman but yeah. you have to renounce it entirely yes, yes. well <laughs> but you know what it's interesting because something I talked about in the book and I can't remember now what chapter it appears in but um you know in Star Wars, mm-hmm. the 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 you know the story of Luke Skywalker is the hero's journey, mm-hmm. but that's not a woman's journey. Dirty yes. dancing is a woman's journey. Nobody I... puts baby in the corner, and I think that's what the yes. princess desire is. Yes, I want to just be admired for uh-huh. who I am. So, by the way, uh-huh. but that but 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 that gets back to something useful for us mm-hmm. is that desire to be just who you are uh-huh. and not have to sort of twist your personality mm-hmm. or sit on your own personality to be beloved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think in a way you can look at it in a positive light yeah. um, is that we just want to be loved for who we are. And guess mm-hmm. what? Sometimes that's difficult. Yes. Because as we noted, difficult is the new black. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Karen, this has been a fantastic discussion. I've had so much fun. If viewers want to continue the discussion with you, where can they find you on social media? Um, they can find me at Carbohemia on Twitter. I'm on Instagram as well. And then Facebook is Karen Carbo. Um, both on my personal page and my author's page. I'm there. I'm there with everybody. I'm there with everybody saying like, should we be here anymore? But I am there. And I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Real Zoe Hewitt. You can also find In Praise of Dif- Difficult Women in bookstores and online. So you can pick up a copy and then continue the discussion. That's right. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. From executive producers Kevin Undergaro, Maria Menunos, and Jeffrey Masters, thanks for tuning in to Book Circle Online. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. To suggest a book title or their author, you can tweet us at BookCircleOn. This is Book Circle Online. Thanks for tuning in. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 